Hi folks, simple ask before you start this podcast, uh, please consider going to patreon.com forward slash tortoise The link is in the blurb there, so if you click on that, see if there's a level that you're happy to support us at and help these podcasts keep going. Uh, we rely on listeners to pay it forward, we rely on you guys to share, use, uh, tell your friends, word of mouth, leave reviews, whatever it is the case, we really appreciate it. But we also need uh, to, to cover pay the bills and the only way we do that is via the Patreon model. Uh, the link is in the blurb and there's tons of extra stuff in there. This week alone, uh, yesterday I had a brilliant conversation with Dr. Mary McAuliffe, the historian, UCD historian on Roe versus Wade and what's next. Uh, Aidan Regan joined us to talk about economic narratives. Daniel Murray uh, from, the, from the Business Post talked to us about the, uh, the difference between climate policy and climate implementation and his story on that is actually in the business post today do check that out as well and uh, that wasn't the plug he asked me to do and there's tons of additional content there including patron exclusives so one more time uh, while you're listening click the link there and see if there's a level that you're happy to support this platform at i'll let you enjoy this conversation thanks for the support Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope. And I'm your host, Rory Hearn. And I'm delighted today we are um, joined back together, myself and Tony Groves, producer of Reboot Republic and Tortoiseshack Media. Tony, it's great to have you here. We're going to chat about the CSO, the census, the headline figures, what it tells us um and <coughs> excuse me the threshold report as well yeah. we are generation rent tony how are things not too bad rory um i know there's a few things we will probably touch on briefly and uh, and you know listeners we'll be back in more depth when we have the correct guests to, to to fit around it we will do that but one thing i did say yesterday was the you know the reporting on the fine for AIB was reported as historic and massive and, you know, groundbreaking and yada, yada, yada. I don't know if you're aware of this, Rory. They're saying the total bill across all the banks is, is now between fines, compensations and, and refunds. This is hilarious. You're just giving people back the money you took from them. OK, so I don't know how you factor that in. Anyway, it's coming up to close to a billion. Sounds huge. Uh, Want to, again, put in context, payment protection insurance mis-selling in the UK the fines the banks were hit with was the equivalent of 1% of the UK's total GDP. If we did that here, it would be 4.1 to 4.4 billion. So the banks have gotten off very lightly, in my opinion. By international standards, you only have to look at what's happened in, in, the, in the US for, for some of the same scandals that happened around the time of the bank bailout there and, and the collapse of, of the banks that were, you know, the, the AAA rated banks and the mortgages, they were fined again in excess of what the UK banks were fined. I do think we have a we have to a problem with banker culture and it won't be disincentivized if the fines aren't heavy enough or punitive enough because you can't put me off make, do, making bad decisions if it's not actually hurting me in the pocket. No, absolutely. And I think, it, you know, it brings up something much wider about the banks and how many times we all have to pay for the profit, the mistakes, the damage that banks have done. And you look at austerity. And, and as I've made the argument about the entire housing crisis, in part, is due to our housing policy, our economic policy, all being about let rents rise, let house prices rise, encourage them to rise so that we can banks can get back to profitability. They can get the value uplift on their books. 
this is, you know, so much of housing and the drive in house price inflation, in rising house prices, is all about profits for the banks. And balance sheets, yeah. And and it's just people don't go, you know, we think of, and what's even worse in this country is we fucking own one of the main banks. You know, we we own AIB, and Mm. yet it's act it acts like you know there's no connection, and it's just it's so the financial system, as you know better than anyone, it's just it's let off, isn't it? Like Mm. it's it's just, and we don't think about or see how much it's driving and destroying so much of our economy and society. I'm gonna say something, um, and it's not because it's not anecdotal because it was my own lived experience when we were when I worked for RBS. I was afraid of the FSA in London and didn't really care too much about the central bank uh, regulator in, in, in Dublin. It was, it was really, oh shit, the FSA are, 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 are pulling, pulling that stuff that's been yeah. done because we knew they had teeth and the, the central bank's regulators in, in, in Dublin used to be in the, in the lobby chatting to people having a cup of coffee. You know, the, this, is, this, was, this was very much... Um, Light touch regulation, in but, my opinion, and I was, and it's not anecdotal because it was my lived experience. Yeah, but you look at it; it's not just banking. The light touch regulation or lack of regulation in this country. People ask, why have we a cost of living crisis? We have a cost of living crisis because our regulators don't regulate. We let the market do whatever. You look at the mica scandal. You know, we don't regulate the building. The what what goes into our homes. You look at you know childcare. You look at housing, you look at the hotel costs, you look at petrol costs, you look at everything. We don't regulate. We just let the market do what it wants. It's like there is an element of Wild West capitalism in mm. Ireland, isn't there? Like, how, how is Ireland the second most expensive place in Europe with, with the living standards of, of just about middling? How is but we're not just second. We're the highest for rent yeah. in Dublin, the highest in city now in the EU. We are... The second highest, if not the highest, in childcare, because those living costs mm-hmm. don't actually include childcare mm-hmm. and housing. But we're also we're also at the top for food. We're way o- and we are the highest when it comes to energy. So electricity, gas, petrol, all of those things, we're also the highest there. So all of these things, um, uh, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't tally. And they will say you can bear it because we have a two tier economy. That, as you know well, our GDP means nothing. It's yeah. it, it it makes no impact other than it it means that as a country we can carry this debt because our GDP is so high. So within the fiscal rules that don't apply currently, we look fabulous because we have this huge debt and we're the mo- one of the most indebted countries in the world. But it doesn't matter because yeah. Leprechaun Economics, based on ten big companies, pays twenty percent more into the into the coffers every year. Yeah. And if you look at it like the Nordic countries like Denmark and Sweden, they have what's called a social contract where their populations and their businesses and their economy, they agree a sense. Okay, we pay taxes, we provide public services, childcare, transport, affordability. Businesses don't go around trying to screw everyone all the time. There's no social contract in Ireland. You know, multinationals pay hardly any tax. Yeah, we have, you know, the politicians just say, we'll look the other way. We don't regulate landlords. We don't enforce mechanisms on short-term Airbnb. You know, we don't, we say, oh, it's all just about reducing everybody's taxes. Varadkar is on about it again, reduce taxes, because they don't believe in the social contract. No. It's all about how do you siphon off money to who you want to vote for you or what businesses. 
like in that sense of you know it's like a as you I think it was you described it before it's not legal bribery or what was it like well, it's, institutionalized it's, 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 it's bribery the, the crime like, my favorite phrase on that is is the crime is what's legal and yeah. it's absolute because what once you structure it in such a way that you've you've done this and you can like I'll give you a real life example that's playing out in front of our eyes. Eamon Ryan has opened the tender process for uh, renewables, and Rory, you're, you're you know your feelings on built to rent are fairly well stated. You know you think it's abhorrent. You, you're aware that the same companies behind those funds and all are thinking we if you give us the same deal on you know no tax, da 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 da, we'll build out your 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 wind infrastructure for renewable energies. So we're going to, in effect, rather than have this, what you know, we are blessed to be a rock on the side of the Atlantic that can harvest all this wind energy. We're actually saying, well, these people are going to come in and provide it, but we won't own it. They'll own it. And then they'll be leasing it back to us, similar to a built to rent model that we have with these apartments. And we'll, and we'll be paying them guaranteed yields that they'll pay at low tax. They are tendering for this as we, as we are having this conversation. And the state are open for it because they're saying it means we don't have to do it. Yeah, it's it's yeah. The real estate investment trusts are after, you know, the renewables. They're after like nursing homes. Yeah, they're after the healthcare system. Anything. This is like this is the model of neoliberalism of privatization that has been going on since the nineteen eighties with Margaret Thatcher. The private sector has wanted. They look at the public sector and they say, "We want that as our business," and because government is completely ideologically opposed to the state playing what should be its role in delivering things and involving communities and doing things on a not-for-profit basis like renewable energy like it, it is just i'm just can know, i, I want to so give we, we, we need we need to move on in a second but i want to give one statistic because you said nursing homes really interesting study came out in california a couple of weeks ago um, and they were able to show scarily that in these uh, private versus public-owned nursing homes, you know, provided state provided in California, the death rate was twelve percent higher in the uh, private-owned for-profit uh, model. Twelve percent surprised, but that but so we literally when we see these bean counters, there are there are people well, dying you know, below we see those it in numbers. Our homeless services here in Dublin as well, you know, exactly. the private for-profit, yep. you know, provision of homeless services. There's, you know, people don't have um, those in homeless services don't have proper conditions. We've seen a rise in homeless deaths. You know, it's not it's not rocket science, as you say, to figure out what are private for providers, you know, private providers, private for profit provision should not be in social care. Social care is about giving people, you know, the, the services that they need for health, for elder care, for homelessness, for housing, for childcare, for education on the basis of what they need, not the basis of what someone can make profit from. But anyway, which leads you on to the, well, the, 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 the mental health report this week yeah. that you were agitated about. It's all linked to the same um, model. It, it is. Yeah, I, I was reading this and obviously we have covered on the podcast before the issue of mental health, you know, particularly um, it's links also to inequality, to housing issues, to people's lack of a sense of future and um, poverty. But I was really struck by figures um, that came out from the ESRI during the week, which showed that there was an increase since before the pandemic. So you're talking now two and a half, three years ago, the rates of depression, the the percentage of young adults. And these are 22 year olds. uh, The research is from the Growing Up in Ireland uh, database. So this is, you know, proper evidence based research. I, I, I literally 
was upset looking at it. The figure was 40% of 22-year-olds, 40% of male 22-year-olds, and 55% of female 22-year-olds were depressed, affected by depression. I, I just was going, so less a majority of young adult women in this country are suffering from depression, 40% of, of young men. And there was, there was different reasons in terms of why that was. Of the pandemic significantly increased the rates of, of um, mental ill health around, um, you know, obviously isolation. Um, for example, students studying online you know, the lack of engagement, but isolation being one of the biggest factors. But also we know factors are there in terms of the lack of housing, the lack of independence. The figures have come out now that it's close to 80% of young adults in Ireland are living at home still with their parents, one of the highest um, in the EU. And they have no sense of future, no sense of hope. We know climate as well. They're clearly, you know, concerned about jobs, decent jobs. And all we've all this bullshit Mm. And I'll name it as bullshit about snowflake generation and, and, you know, what they're not able to do and what, you know, what they won't do. And you go, they're fucking depressed. Mm. They're depressed because of COVID, because of the isolation, because we don't give them a future about hope, about jobs, about meaning, about a planet that we have fucked up. Excuse my language. But like, I just think I'm like. We have a sick. Yeah. And, and, and young and, people are sick. They need and, help. And we've we've done that. And they need the, us to change things. That's the speed of change that's gone the other way from, you know, this, that generation. There are now two generations but from the age of 25, sorry, from the age of 18 now to 35 in that in that cohort that are worse off than their parents were at that generation in that generation. So we've so when you mentioned earlier, Ireland has no social contract. We've ripped it up. You know, a couple of decades ago, we're now seeing the outcome of that as it as it's as it's playing out. Yeah. And what that means is, it means you know, as you said, uh, insecure work. You know, and they'll say, well, that gives them freedom of mobility, right? So, uh, yeah. uh, insecure housing. They go, hey, they might want to go traveling. Uh, they'll say, you know, um, or rent a boutique, something like a boutique. Uh, yeah, live, li- living in living in a boutique hotel that own worth like all of these things. I, I I went back and listened to uh, Emma Kirwan's um, t- uh, poem, uh, Temple Bar, July 2019, I think it's called. And and he literally it's all come it's all come home to roost. All of the predictions, he said, it starts with it starts with art and it ends in real estate. And that's where yeah. we are now. And yeah. we've, 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 we we have, you know, and what's the other phrase they say, Rory? There's no um, there's no money in art, but there's definitely no art in money. You know, and yeah. uh, and and that's where we are as as a society. We've 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 killed the creative structures because we've told people that these are they are just components in an economy, and that is going to have those impacts. Mental, I mean, on mental health. You know, whether it manifests itself in terms of a depression or or other issues, and people are struggling. I mean, this is this is where we see it. And, and of course, the the other issue is, of course, what's the response? It's a medicalized response. Then mm-hmm. you know. And we know pharmaceuticals benefit from that. The rather than seeing the structures in society, the therapy that's needed, the things that you know, the human interaction, the changes we need to make in our economy and society. Uh, yeah, I, I have to say I was deeply upset by it, and thinking of you know our own children who 
will become and are becoming young adults and you know what what sort of world are we can bringing I, them into it has to change it has to change there's a report and hopefully we'll be able to bring you some on it uh, next week um, and actually you're, you're not aware of this but there's a report hope, hopefully about to come out by one of the sort of independent uh, journalism uh, wings that the same people who are behind some of the stuff for the Panama Papers and the likes of what and it shows when you mention the pharmaceuticals uh, taxpayers may have Overpaid by 31 billion so far for Pfizer made $1,000 per second on its vaccine. 31 billion overpaid and Pfizer made $1,000 per second on its vaccine. How much uh, debt? I, I, developing world I, countries, but that cancel out. Unbelievable. Look, we'll look. We'll come back to it when I have more. Yeah. When I have more, but yeah. I just think when you mention pharmaceuticals, they aren't here to hold your hand and uh, and be your friend. You know, that's that 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 level and, is just yeah. phenomenal. And and again, it's like there's great work done by the pharmaceuticals. You know, absolutely fantastic developments. You know, they provide you know good mm. jobs in many cases. But again, it's the problem if it's just about maximizing profit and return. This is what is at the heart of the problem. Listen, we wanted to talk about the census because it provided some really, really um, significant uh, findings. They just came out uh, yesterday, Wednesday, um, a Thursday. <laughs> My days have been mixed up this week, Tony. I'm supposed to be doing, a, well, I am doing a half iron, um, uh, these uh, half Ironman triathlons on yeah. Saturday. <laughs> are you off your rocker absolutely off my rocker but unfortunately it's in tremor and they've had to cancel the swim because because we're on a rock in the atlantic the yeah. weather is so unpredictable that now there's bloody small craft warnings i said let me out in the sea with the small craft warning yeah, and see if yeah. i come back but uh unfortunately they're not willing to take that risk and, well uh, well best of luck with it but we better get to the bloody cso rory yeah let's get um, to the census can, and can i frame it in one way we've heard for a number of years there was no point in doing anything about the vacant uh sites there was no point doing anything about, about houses not being stocked because you know anecdotally the minister of finance was telling us there just wasn't enough for them to get concerned about it wasn't going to bring in enough money tell tell me rory tell um, yeah I, I i was uh the media was on to me yesterday um and uh i gave them my straight up analysis which was criminal criminal negligence is how i would describe the policy failure to address vacancy and derelict vacancy, vacant homes. The figures, I was surprised by them because we have been, as you said, we've been told for the not last number of years that the level of vacancy and even from the revenue figures that have come back uh, from the, the local property returns, property tax returns, um, showed that there was a low level of vacancy and particularly a low level, Pascal Dunne, who said a low level in urban areas, in the cities. And the census preliminary results, now they are preliminary results, show that there's 166,000 vacant homes across the country. That doesn't include the holiday homes. There are an additional 66,000 holiday homes. So you're talking about over 220,000 homes sitting vacant. But the, some of the really significant figures within vacancy, the vacant figures was there's 35,000 of that 166,000 vacant figures. Uh, apologies for the stat overload. Um, are vacant rentals. Mm. 35,000. I looked at Daft yesterday. There was 850 
properties available to rent across the country. And there are 35,000 sitting idle. I, I, I just, I literally, I, I, that's why I said I, my response was criminal negligence. Mm. And this is just, this is stuff that we need immediate. I said we need, I, I was thinking like, there actually should be a situation of fining people, not yeah, just yeah. taxes, like, I mean, but the, fining people yeah, and, and yeah. emergency compulsory purchase order. We have you would house the, the homeless people. The number of homeless households in this country would be housed over 20 times over in the number of vacant houses we have. And I, these are not important people. These are not derelict homes. They didn't count derelict buildings. They counted homes that are habitable, possibly able to be lived in. So there's, e- so, so, the, so there's even more than that because you don't count der- dereliction. Yeah, yeah. Apologies for my over um, uh, I, I, action, uh, reaction on this, but I just was, I, I, I went, like what we have been saying, because uh, we can see it, yeah, yeah. is there's a massive vacancy and dereliction. The GeoDirecty were saying there was 90,000, which was still a massive number, but 166,000 and and I also looked, I went into being the stat nerd I am, the CSO stat nerd. I started to go into the, the GIS mapping and the local area mm. stats. And in Dublin, in parts of Dublin's inner city, there are vacancy rates of 20%. Mm-hmm. And this is the place where uh, Pascal Donahue, that- Minister of Finance, said, Oh, there's no really low level of vacancy. It's, it's, it's the place he cycled past. It's the place where his constituency office is. Uh, it's also I, the place where all the investor fund built to run. Built to rent. We may <laughs> use build to run going forward. But um, I will make the point on that. When we had the conversation uh, around that, the, the main one of the big issues, as is you know, that the, those sites le- le- allowing them to be derelict. It's much more profitable if you can if you can sit on us because you do want to then say, well, density here, all in the space. Look, I mean, I can point to one of the ones that 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 there's a big battle on at the moment is you know the old Shandon Mill site, Rory. Yeah, I yeah, mean, up in Fibsborough. Yeah, yeah, but prime location. Yeah, and the plan that went beautiful in beautiful spot in the connector yeah, there, unbelievable. And uh, uh, but it was like, oh, yeah, we want to we want to want to build a build to rent. Nine, like nine thousand apartments, two two car parking spaces. Share, you know, this kind of they wanted yeah. a co living part in it initially until you know uh, what what where we stand. But so that's where the that's where the prime real estate is, and that's why the, those investors they will sit and wait for some of those to become available because that's where they'll make their money because they've no interest in doing build to rent out in Maynooth as much or you know out in 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 the suburbs where people aren't going to live in those densities because they want people closer to the city, which in then means that you, you force out people who actually want, who you need to service your cities. You know, yeah. and, 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 and I don't mind density. I think we do need increased density, but as Lorcan Sir and, and um, Orla Hegarty make the point over and over, you can have high density, but it doesn't mean high rise. Mm. You look at the fantastic architectural award-winning Goldsmith development in, in the UK, it's, three beds or sorry should i say three story terraced housing that they have reached similar densities to six seven story apartment blocks but i interestingly i was talking to someone who is actually building um or involved in building some of these built to rent apartments and what they were telling me was that the the head honchos the the investor fund owners were coming around going how can we make these you saying to the builder how can you make those units smaller can you cut out that bit of storage can you literally the already small units they want to make them smaller 
because they want to pack more in. And it's like, it's also, and this ties directly into the, um, the, the We Are Generation Rent threshold, who we were, we're both very supportive of, do amazing work, the charity, renters charity threshold, um, supporting tenants. Um, and they showed, their, their figures, their survey with tenants showed, you know, that 92% of tenants um, found extreme difficulty in finding a property. 92% found it very difficult or difficult to find another property when their tenancy was ended. And yet we have 166,000 vacant properties. Yeah. yeah. Like it, it is just, as I said, criminal. And also what they found was that all the bill to rent nonsense crap of, you know, and all the, everybody wants to be renters. You know what percentage of renters said they actually want to be renting? One. 14%. Yeah. Sixty-four percent said they wanted to own a home, mm-hmm. and twenty percent wanted to be um, in social housing, in real social housing, proper social housing, yeah, not, not half. Not half. Yeah. yeah, and 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 this is the case. So, People I mean, don't I'm not, want to rent. No, they don't. Of course, they, they don't. don't want to be stuck and it, stuck renting in in unaffordable. It's, now, if Rory, life, Rory, it's no, Rory, it's always men who live in four bed, four bed semis telling other people that people who are in, in insecure um, tenancies are happy with that. It frees yeah. them up and it gives them great flexibility. Sure. And, and, you know, maybe if they cancel Netflix or, or something, like we have all of this nonsense narratives and it comes back, like I had that conversation with, with Aidan Regan. It was about those economic narratives that are, yeah. are peddled and they're quite sinister because they're really good at making these making these these storylines stick, and it makes me and people in our generation we nod our heads and go, "Yeah, they are feckless. It's uh, it's their own fault." And sure, you know, I I I got where I am because I'm a great person, you know. Yeah. And it's, it, I, I just I think there was some other interesting stuff in the census, Tony. Yeah, yeah. That I just want to bring people through because it is important. Um, like the vacancy rates, as I said, also in Cork, I was looking in Cork City, had some very high vacancy rates. But the really interesting figure in vacancy was the number of homes that were vacant at the previous census and are still vacant. I don't know if you saw that. There was 48,000 dwellings were vacant in 2016 and are still vacant today. And it gets even worse. 23,000 of those were vacant in 2011. Yeah. So you're uh, talking about, this is not short-term vacancy. No, no. 50,000 homes have been vacant for over six years and over 20,000 vacant for over a decade. So like, that's not property. And do you know what the, the other um, figure, interesting figure that when we're delving into it, um, that I came across was, of the rentals, when you go into the cities, you can see that um, I'm just getting the figures up here. I was going through them. Um, so in Dublin, right, there are 17,000 vacant homes in Dublin City, 5,000 vacant rentals. That's quite something. In Cork, uh, 5,000 vacant, 1,000 vacant rentals. In, in- in Cork, like, I mean, like, we yeah. got to think economies of scale here. But I, I, some of the reasons for the vacant rentals are why? Well, is it not rent suppression? No, uh, short term lets. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. They're so, not so. officially registered as rental. Mm. They're short term lets and they're not 
they don't have the planning permission. They're not no, registered no, no. As that. And, and they're not and they're not and they're not in that tax network that we were supposed to that was supposed to bring them all within within the tent to make sure that it was done in, in a regulated manner, you know? Yeah. So what it shows is that really the, the real issue of the short term lets as well. Um and so right, right. did you see the report recently where the Kerry um football team had to charter a flight back from Dublin because they couldn't get after the game because they couldn't get a hotel accommodation in the city? In Dublin. In Dublin. Yeah. Think about think about that. What that says, um, people are finding it cheaper to go. There's a concert on on Marley Park on Monday. There are people are flying to see it in Manchester because it's cheaper to get to to Manchester, uh, book a hotel, watch the concert than it would be to travel to Dublin and try and get a hotel. Yeah, right. And and this is where we are now. And when you look at that level of vacancy, that level of of dereliction, that level of I will say, um, manufactured. Uh, vacancy because absolutely. it is it is manufactured. It's a, yeah, uh, no, you're uh, right. It's, uh, it's absolutely it's an artificial scarcity. Yes, yes, is, is how you describe it. It's an artificial scarcity of homes. There is not a housing shortage in this country. No, nope. there is a vacancy problem, and there is an artificial scarcity be created by the system, which allows property owners face no penalty for allowing their property sit vacant and also no enforcement of regulation that allows people to turn their ho- their rental homes into short-term lets. Um, and it is just, so we need the vacant property tax. We need fines. Um, and I think it's going to, it's going to really put pressure back on the government around this. I think they're not going to be able to, um, I can't see how they can't implement. Oh, watch this Sunday. There's already going to be, reports in the Sunday papers from, and you know the suspects are going to write them, and they're going to say the CSO stats tell us that we've turned a corner in housing. They're going to say the 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 rate of uh, vacant properties has fallen by nine percent here and two percent there, and it's going to get, and it's, that's gone from density's gone from one point two to one point six, and all of those things are going to spin all of that into a proof positive that it's working, and we'll be looked to, looked upon as the people who are actually saying. You know, I, the house is on fire, folks. Can we put out the house? And well, the house maybe wants to be on fire, Tony. What's your problem? Yeah, and and the fire is slightly less than it was. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the figures f- are telling us that the fire, because that nine percent reduction in vacancy, that is a it's a beautiful headline to mm. deflect from the reality that there is this massive number of homes mm. vacant. And as I said, doesn't even include the derelict ones. Doesn't even include the derelict commercial buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, and it comes back to, uh, I actually asked, I was I attended online virtually the, the threshold launch um, of their We Are Generation report. And I said specifically, because the other figures that I wanted to mention were in the first quarter of this year, the first um, three months, the Residential Tenancies Board, RTB, gave the figures on the number of eviction notices served and it was over 1000 over 1000 eviction notices served to tenants in just 3 months of this year last year we had over 3000 eviction notices in the entire year yeah that i reckon and i'm putting out this stat and i've yet to be corrected is the highest number of evictions of tenants in this country since the foundation of the state we have never seen it possibly back to the famine um, in terms of evictions, that is the situation. And we're likely to see if we, if the first quarter figures are um, continued throughout the year, over 4,000 this year. And people are going on about the flight of the landlords. How do we keep landlords in place? 
if you put remove the ability of a landlord to evict a tenant on sale of the property, mm-hmm. which is the majority of eviction notices being served for, that would keep the tenants in place. The landlord could still sell the property. What's the problem? I mean, focus... Focus Ireland put that focus amendment, they called it, in what must be three years ago now. Oh, it's more, Tony. It's 2017 or 2018. They we, 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 we sat in this room where I am now and, and we discussed we how, it was, about how, how it was going Over to be four fun. years ago. Yeah. Staggering to think. But, but I asked the question and John Mark put it to the minister who was at the launch mm. and he responded, the minister for housing, and said, well, we, you know, we have to be really careful. First of all, I don't think it could be legal that we could tell someone they can't sell their property. And I was going to say, well, I didn't actually say they can't sell it. They can still sell it. Means they mightn't get the exact profit they want from it, but they can still sell it. And they, you know, the other point is that he said that, oh, you know, we always have to be careful. We don't deter supply, which is the same argument they have used since 2014 against me arguing you need to put rent controls, you need to rent freeze into that. And he said, oh, it might deter supply. So we get to these rents. But he also said, oh, but now local authorities can buy it. But there's no obligation on a landlord to sell it to the local authority. Mm-hmm. But if you leave the tenant in place, the, lo- the landlord is more likely. Look what look what happened to Lisa. Yeah. In, in Kerry. Yeah. She had the money. The, yeah. the, 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 they turned around and they went, they could have gotten, you know, Kerry County Council or wherever County Council is involved could have went in and, and taken that, even though she had the money herself. And they were all wiped out by a, an investor in the end yeah. because they went in and they can pay above. We see it with the... The idea that the the ten percent stamp duty is, is putting them off—it's not. They no. can literally say, well, "Look, that's just a ten percent premium on on the home. Feck it, we'll pay it." Yeah. Um, and yeah. that they are not backing down. So, so it's it's not. Go back back to my opening point about the fine on AIB not being punitive. The tax on the on these on these funds and all is not punitive. Yeah, they, exactly. They, I mean, I'll pay a ten percent premium if I'm guaranteed four percent return for the next twenty five years. I'll still maintain the asset, and you're going to pay me the the rent the rent that 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 I, that I'll be receiving all that time at a very very low tax rate. You know, yeah, yeah. crazy. Yeah, and, and the other figures in the census which were interesting was to see that the the growth in population in some counties outstripping really significantly the housing provision because in some counties there's been much less housing provision than others so if you look at the likes of for example tipperary um claire um i think was the other very significant waterford was another one which had um the population growth was over was around nine percent but housing um, increase in housing was about 4% of the stock. So you have this mismatch in the regions because, of course, in Dublin, they will say, oh, population increased by 7%, housing stock similar. So, you know, there's not a real issue. It shows housing supply is working. But, of course, as we know, the main supply is the investor funds who bought 60% of all new homes built in the first four months of this year. It's an investor fund built to rent, which aren't really homes, but it's numbers of units. So it's there as a supply. But investor funds aren't interested in building Clare or Waterford. No. Um, so what have we seen? House prices still in double digits in places like Waterford rising in Waterford because councils don't have the money to build. They should have the money to build. And I think there's a real issue in places like Clare, Limerick, Tipperary, Waterford, Galway, Leitrim, Longford. Who the hell is going to build a home? And, and we know the strategy is developers want to wait, prices rise, rise, mm. rise, rise. And at some point, yeah, 
they'll start building when now now it's at 385,000 that I can get a minimum return on this two you two 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 bedroom unit in we I will build it in Leitrim. Yeah. You know, and um then but you're going so it shows we need the state. We need a state construction company. We need a state development company to actually go build in Clare, in Limerick, in Waterford and s- support the local authorities and housing associations and O'Coolon as well. And of course, as you know, the other issue that we'll touch on very briefly is the market. What's happening in the market? We're hearing that oh. private developers are pulling up the handbrakes. Uh, we hear others on, on Morning Ireland this morning, economists, um, Colonel McQuillia uh, and others saying that, you know, well, prices are, they might soften a little, um, but there's, go- there's going to be no real fall in prices um, and possibly not. Um, but what it really shows is, and we know that some developers are starting to stop building. Yeah, and 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 they will stop build. They will just stop building. That is, they will like this idea that they're going to continue ramping up. That is, that is not true. That is not the case. That is not what happens. We're heading into an interest rate cycle. The DCB is joining the party on in in a couple of days in July. Um, we've seen it with the Fed. They even, I mean, you know, didn't get much traction. But like generally, central banks tick these things up at a, at a like quarter of a percent every 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 you know quarter. You know, so it's it'll be ECB throwing 0.25 in July. Come back maybe. Um, October throwing another 0.25 on just before just before Christmas. Thanks very much. Um, but the Fed in the US went actually we're throwing a whole 0.75 on on the interest rate uh, last week. You know, uh, and and that will spook the ECB. That will spook the, the the governors of the central banks of the UK and other other countries. And this 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 is this this is the cycle we're entering into now. And we see it now where you're saying there's a softening. Other people are calling it a bubble, um, you know, and we have, but, but we've inflated our asset prices based on a lot of international finance rather than uh, a a domestic one. We still have a domestic credit problem, as we, we know, we still, you know, we haven't cleaned up all of that. And we're already at a situation whereby banks balance sheets then are, are, going, are dependent on these assets. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's the whole thing. Like, I mean, Eric Lonergan was saying we're facing Euro crisis too. I don't know. There's, there's talk of, uh, dual interest rates, which is interesting, um, you know where we're yeah. and and there's all sorts of solutions, but um, but look, there's a lot more we will cover in the coming days yeah. and weeks. But it, it's not, yeah. it's not, it's not encouraging. No, no, no. But but I suppose it's very significant and important that we see it in terms of the market to start jittering. It means the state has to step in, not withdraw and try and you know prop up the market more. But listen, Tony, it was a great chat. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I really enjoyed that. I have to say, and I think we should do more of them. And I know listeners really enjoyed the last one we had. We had we had great feedback. Yeah. Um, and so please, you know, again, share them around. Um, we really appreciate you. You know, the patrons who are there who are supporting us. Um, who contribute what they can. Um, you can go over to Tortoise Shack, uh, sorry, Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Tortoise Shack. Sign up for whatever you can. We're independent media. We keep uh, putting out the real analysis. Um, support us and share it around on social media. Let people know you're listening. As we say, we're a movement and a podcast. So listen, thanks you so much, everyone. And we'll talk to you all soon.